Continue book of Matthew, and we are doing the Sermon on the Mount just now, which we're actually almost finished with them. This is this chapter completes the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. It's been a fantastic one, I I, I believe, um, especially kind of connecting the dots and seeing how it comes together as a sermon, how he deals with so many important topics. Again, if the Son of God is going to teach, <laughs> he's going to make sure that what he teaches on is very important and lasting. I love that song we sang, the last song, where it has three portions of the Sermon on the Mount that we see. Um, even the one that says, um, you know, the, the one about the bread, you know, you can't live by bread alone, but by every word of God's mouth. That actually came from Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. So a really good song. So Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Um, if I can have the next slide, please. We'll uh, just do a quick review. <clears throat> so in a way we review, uh, what we've been learning so far really in the Sermon on the Mount, really it's about love. I mean, he's preaching the kingdom of heaven. He's preaching God's character, God's heart. And really what's God's character, God's heart is full of love. And so what we're learning a lot through this is love. And of course, the Bible's filled with portions of love. The cross is love. You know, the, the disciples and their commitments, love, you know. Paul, of course, in 1 Corinthians 13, explains all about love, very broad definition. 1 John, that book's all about love, and really the character of God in his kingdom is love. And that's what we're learning through, we're reading through the Sermon of the Mount. And so we invest in this love. We invest in this kind of kingdom character. And we trust that it's safe, that our investment the, you know, our time, our thoughts, everything we put into God's kingdom of character, which is love. It's safe. It's satisfying. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a good way of life. It's eternal. As opposed to the worldly way, which is normal. The normal, natural, human way of doing things. You know, it's filled with, as we saw, anger. We learned, studied that, contempt. You know, remember the ogre? Anger, which comes into contempt, this kind of frustration, this kind of, you know, looking down upon other people and labeling or pushing them outside of, you know, society or our defines of what society should be. You know, uncontrolled desire, lusts, lies, manipulation, betrayal, retaliation, hatred for those who oppose you, those who you feel are against you, and of course, hypocrisy. These are all things that are normal characteristics of the way the world is. It's the stuff, as I said before, is what good soap operas are made of. But it's not the way of the, of the kingdom of God, because the way of the kingdom of God is, is full of love. And Jesus deals with each of these issues in the past very specifically and in depth. But today, we're going to get to the, ne the next section, which is blaming and condemning. And this is, of course, a dangerous and a worrisome way of life. Uh, it is, of course like these other things we talked about, like anger and contempt and so on and so forth, these things, like contrasted to love, which is eternal, are temporal and they're unpredictable. It's not a safe way to live lives, but yet it's so natural and what's so fitting for so many people. 
And so our prayers, our desires is that we don't, that we see the value in the character of God's love and his kingdom. So next slide, please, Gary. So how do we treat the people in our lives? How do we treat people in our lives? And, and, and if you notice, I, I, I named this, this portion of, of the study of Matthew, you know, from the greater society to the closest to us. Because in, in the last chapter, you know, he, he talked about like, you know, anger and, and you know, and murder and, and uh, you know, lying, manipulation and lusting. All this stuff is, it's how to live this daikasune kind of life, this righteous kind of life within our society. But now we're going to kind of home in a little bit. I believe Jesus is homing a little bit more towards the people in our lives, like in our church lives, our family lives, our work lives. And so how we treat people in our lives, it's, it's, it is a demonstrate love. It, it should demonstrate love. It should be full of love. How we handle each other. It should, therefore, because we're invested so much in the kingdom of God, it should illuminate. It should be the fruit of this kingdom kind of life, an investment in the kingdom of heaven. In the spirit walking, you know, as we follow God faithfully, it should demonstrate, the behavior should produce love. And so in Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This here is one of the most mis interpreted and misused scriptures probably in all scriptures um, somebody comes to correct you or say something to you that you don't like this comes out and says don't judge don't judge me who do you think you are don't judge lest you be judged but as we see in context it isn't talking about um, don't help you know don't use discernment don't have decisions don't discern right from wrong. That's quite the opposite. What he's saying here is something a bit more, and it's in keeping with what we're learning throughout love versus non-love, really. And that's why earlier I said what we're going to learn today is about blaming and condemnation, because really what he's talking about here is don't blame people. Don't condemn people. Speak to people instead with love, and that's what we're going to see here. So that's why I put here on the on the board, these different ideas of backbiting. That's, that's what he's talking about. Don't judge. Don't backbite. You know, don't blame. Don't gossip. Gossip's a, a classic. I mean, people who love to use this verse, don't judge me who you think you are. People who probably love to gossip on the other hand, and they do judgments themselves. But so it's a subtle problem we have here. Self-righteousness. Those who judge in this way are usually... Those who are quite self-righteous and have this kind of superiority complex. And that's what Jesus is warning about. And that's why um, in other scriptures, there's a, um, a good way of actually balancing out. Because the, to judge is actually an interesting thing. Because the term word judge is kind of a tricky one. It actually just means to discern from right or wrong. And certainly Jesus isn't telling us that we shouldn't be discerning. And we shouldn't have the ability, the cognitive ability to make decisions. Certainly that's not what he's saying. But he must be saying something much different. So if we go to the next slide, you know, so the issue at hand is correcting. We see it as a problem. We need to deal with it at church, at home, at work, whatever it may be. How do we deal with things that need to be corrected? Love is the way to do it. And again, we're doing, we're saying this in context, in light of what we learned so far. It's about love. And that's what the character of God's kingdom is. And that's the character of cards. He corrects us. Jesus corrects us. Paul corrects the churches in, 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 through the scripture. So we see a lot of correcting. But it's to be done in love, not with blame 
and not with condemnation. Things are this way because it's your fault kind of mentality. That's what Jesus warnings about when he says don't judge because you will be judged in the same manner. It's the manner. Ah, that's what we're looking at. The manner is the manner of judgment. Love? Hey, if, if you're going to judge me, if you're going to correct me, I'd rather you do it in the way of love than with blame and condemnation. I mean, wouldn't you? Does that not make sense? If you're, the manner in which you judge is that manner in which you're going to be judged. If you say, well, I'm just trying to help, but you're doing it in an attitude of blame, in an attitude of condemnation, that hurts. And like we learned with the little ones even, and we're learning today, is we want to be treated a certain way. And so we ought to treat others in the way that we would want to be treated ourselves. So I, when I go to correct, and you, when you go to correct, talk to somebody about something you're concerned about, you see something that's up, an error, a mistake, we need to first ask, how do I approach the situation so that I do it in a manner of love that I would receive and learn from, as not to blame or condemn? So again, we are, however, living in a blame society, and that's the big blanket that we have to make our way through. The default response is usually to blame and condemn. It's not my fault. It's your fault. And I'm going to sort you out. <laughs> you know, that's the mentality. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to sort you out. You need to be corrected. And here I am. I'm going to slap you about. You know, and, and I've actually had strangers threaten to, to slap people. I've heard them slap me and other people. I'm like, but they, they say it in a joking manner. Oh, you need to sort that man out. You need to slap him out. I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, quite a, aggressive. But that's the way of our society. It's to, it's, to, it's, it's to push and bully people about, thinking that you're all great and everybody else is so messed up. But that's not love. That's the way of the world. It's not the way of the kingdom of God. So in Galatians 6.1 gives good advice on how to deal with each other. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, so the first thing is, is a spiritual-minded person. A spiritual-minded, a person who follows after the Spirit of the living God, and a person who's filled, who's walking a spiritual kind of life. That's a prerequisite, I think. So again, if you see a situation come up, I need to talk to this person. And I'm not talking about just church issues. I'm talking about family issues, how you treat your children and your spouses, how you would treat your coworkers, how you would treat your friends. Stop and think. I need the help and the guidance of the Spirit of the living God. So God, help me. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment. Give me the ability. So if you see a problem, an error, a sin, go. But you need to be spirit-filled first. So that person should be, should, should be one who lives by the Spirit and should restore that person gently. So, of course, the attitude isn't to thump someone. It isn't to kick someone or give them a doing or to slap them. It's to be gentle, to be caring. Again, thinking, how would you respond if you were to be treated this way? Right? So it takes a lot of wisdom and tact. But, again, here's the text still in there. Watch yourselves. Be mindful of how you present, how you deal the situation, or even how you see the situation, because you might be that person someday. See, or you also may be tempted in this matter. You may be that person someday, or even worse. So think when your time comes and, and you need to be corrected, sit down, talk to you, whatever. You know, how would you like to be approached? You see, you see again uh, how Jesus, when he comes to conclude it later on, you know, with treat others as you'd want to be treated. It's already in here in the scriptures. Love, not blame, not condemnation. So again, Jesus is not saying that we should not correct. Okay, so don't say this to somebody who's trying to help you out, saying, oh, don't judge, lest you be judged. 
Because if you said to me, I'd say, okay, fine. If I'm not being loving, then I apologize. I'll be loving because when you come to correct me, I would hope that you would do it loving. But don't leave me high and dry. If something needs to be said, something needs to be done, I would appreciate a good gentle rebuke. So Jesus is not saying that we should not correct. What he is saying is that we should correct in love, not in blame and condemnation. Again, after this sermon, Jesus spent his whole life discerning right and wrong, right? Isn't that why we even bother reading our Bibles as we're trying to learn from Jesus what's right and what's wrong? That's what he did. He dealt with the Pharisees, he dealt with the Sadducees, he dealt with the, the scribes, he dealt with his disciples and various other kinds of people, discerning what's right and what's wrong and correcting people. So he's not saying that or else he'll be a big fat hypocrite. Paul, as well, after Christ, spent most of his writing explaining to folk in different churches how they were doing things wrong and how they needed correction, right? Again, Paul would be out of line with his teaching if, 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 if we would look at this as saying we shouldn't correct and we shouldn't help. This is a matter of restoration. Remember we learned about that way back when we started the Sermon on the Mount, when we talked about the anger, right? When, you go, when he says, when you go to worship God or you're in a very important ceremonious situation and you remember that somebody is burning with contempt against you and angry with you, he goes, that you know that pain, that, that, the feeling, the sensation of having that, that, that weight on your shoulder of anger and contempt. Stop what you're doing and go and make restoration with them. Stop and go for their benefits because you don't want them out of love. You don't want them to hurt that way. And that's the same thing here. It's like out of love, we don't want people to hurt. And we know that the sting of sin is painful. We don't want them to hurt. So we want to intervene. We want to say something. But we got to be very careful on how we do it. And that's what we're learning this morning. How to be very careful with each other. How to treat each other gently as we see in Galatians 6. One, to be gentle next one. So with this verse, we see there's two, there's two ways of seeing things clearly. And that's the thing. With being gentle, we need to see things clearly. We want to be informed. We want to be able to, to approach things properly. So the, the verses in Matthew 7, 3 to 5 read like this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, but all the time, there is a plank in your own eye. I love this. This is where Jesus, of course, these scriptures kind of brings a little bit lightheartedness. You know, he was quite deep, and now he's dealing with personal issues. He's, he's being a bit lighthearted about it, and that's kind of nice, considering how deep some of the, the topics we've dealt with have been. You know, and so the idea, you know, there's this a big plank, a big board in your somebody's eye. It's kind of funny. And, and so, you know, we're like, well, that's that's bizarre, you know. You're like, oh, excuse me, you got you got a uh, you know, a little speck in your eye. You just this ginormous thing come out of your eye. It's, there's, there's a bit of humor to this. And I like how Jesus uses the humor. And so, but he says, but you're being a hypocrite. You're being an actor. You're being a faker. First, take that ginormous, obvious plank out of your eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So what is this plank or this board or this thing that's obstructing? There's two ways to interpret it. And so that's why I put two things on the board there. Two ways to interpret it. There's the first, which is the classical way that I've always interpreted it. But there's a second way, which I learned, which actually really coincides and complements the first one. So two different ways, two new, one new way and one traditional way of interpreting this plank, this board, this thing that's obstruction in your eye. And that's number one, the board in your eye is misinformation and or misunderstanding. You know, you don't see things quite clearly. You don't have all the information. So stop and glean. Do I see the whole situation clearly? Am I part of the problem? 
you know, what's going on here? If there's something obstructing your, your vision, you can't see things, you need to take it out of your way so you can see things clearly. So maybe that, that thing that's in your way is just a, a misunderstanding. You don't understand, you don't see. Maybe just give some time to mull it over, to, to, to gather information. Don't overreact and react quickly, thinking you have to stomp out this forest fire. It's probably not a forest fire. It's probably something that needs to have some time to heal. Get some information, get a clear picture, deal with it. So the question must be asked, do you really see things clearly? What information are you going off of? Is there anything obstructing your judgment? And the second one, this I got from Dallas Willer, which I thought was beautiful, because it works really well with the first definition of what this board might be. But it's also quite, quite profound. He says that the board in your eye is the attitude of condemnation. Jesus is talking about what? Condemnation and blame. And so if you go to help a brother, help somebody out, help sort a situation out, but you have this attitude of condemnation, of blame, you're not going to achieve anything but frustration and anger and offense. So if that plank in your eye, which is help keeping you from seeing things clearly, is your own attitude, remove your attitude and instead replace it with an attitude of love. Again, if you have an attitude of blame, you'll be acting hypocritically, like he says, you hypocrite. That would make sense. Or disingenuous. But if you have an attitude of love, you'll be acting contrastly with, an, with, with, with a character that is genuine and that of real helpfulness. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense to you because this actually makes great sense. I've, I've, I've been dealt with in both ways. I've had people in my life just shout at me for something that's just completely made no sense whatsoever and they were totally out of line. But they thought they were great because they saw things clearly. And maybe what should happen is the plank should have been removed. And I've also been dealt with, and have people talk to me, in a real loving matter. And I was in the wrong. And I saw that I was in the wrong. But the attitude, the gentleness, the care that was given to me, I saw this person love me and they want, were looking out for my best interest. And I respond to that. And I still remember to this day, you know, being treated that way. You can get a lot more. My mother-in-law used to always say, you can catch more bees with honey than you do with vinegar. I like that. Honeys are attracted to honey. Our bees are attracted to honey, but not vinegar. And so with dealing with each other, again, if, we're, if we have a vinegar kind of mentality and a vinegar kind of characteristic about us when we deal with sensitive situations, it's just going to push people away. But if there's honey, if there's love, this, this beautiful attribute of God, then again, you know, we can win souls. Next one, please. But there is a problem I was talking earlier with someone, I can't remember who it was, it might have been Graham, about this, I, this, this good old saying, which I think is a beautiful saying, hate the sin, love the sinner. So when we deal with people, we have this mentality, we don't like what you're doing, but we love you oh so much, which is, actually fits really well with the classical way of looking at a person. In the classical Christianity, it fits so well. But the problem is, it doesn't work in the modern context. And I found out why. I was doing some research on this. And it's because of this modern invention called behaviorism. Modern invention. 21st century, gotta love it. Or Actually, this is back in the 20th century. Behaviorism. So, classically speaking, people were believed, this is kind of looking at the philosophical side of things. People were, were believed to have material bodies, and immaterial souls or spirits, which we now are commonly referred to as a mind. So if you go into a university or, or college and you learn about mind, usually that's, that's replaced the idea classically of the soul and the spirit, okay? 
So people, there's two different parts, elements to us, or, or would say substances. One's material, like the heart and the mind, the brain, the skeletal system, all the nerves and the blood. That's all material, okay? It's made of DNA and various kinds of molecular structures. But you also have parts that aren't that way, are immaterial, like your thoughts, your imagination, your dreams, your emotions, feelings, desires, dispositions, so on. Things that you cannot actually pin down with, 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 with material you know, or molecular kind of substances. And, and the way I have dealt with it in the past, classically, is, is with dualism. Well, there's two different substances, material and non-material. Simple as that. But in the 20th century, there has been a, a rise of modernism. And the modernists want to reduce. They don't like the idea. It's, it doesn't answer enough questions to have this mysterious, immaterial substance. So they want to reduce uh, and eliminate immaterial substances. So what they do is uh, they, 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 they call or consider the, Ill, the immaterial parts, like our thoughts, our imaginations, beliefs, whatever, uh, feelings, pain, all this different stuff. They, they reduce it to simple byproducts of brain activity. So they're just it's like smoke from a fire. So they're byproducts of brain activity. So really all you are is material. And your brain is a part of that. And then, you know, how you, and so what, what's consequence of who you are is your behavior or your actions. So that's where the word behaviorism comes from. So you are your behavior. Or in other words, as it says up there, I am my actions. So you're starting to see the problem here. So if you say, I hate your actions, but I love you, we're starting to see a contradiction because I am my actions. I am my behavior because of this invention of modern you know, behaviorism. And so psychologically, how psychologists would deal with it would be like it says down here. To see a person's behavior is to see a person. And, they, and that's how they treat people. They look at their behavior. They look how they respond to certain things. And they believe when they see the person's actions, behavior, they're actually seeing into the person's soul, so to speak. So psychologists attempt to learn what's wrong with the person by watching their behavior and then attempt to change their behavior in faith that they're actually changing the person for the good. So you see, it's actually, it's well-intended, you know. I mean, it's, it's some good science. Problem is, it doesn't really work. First of all, the, 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 the consequence is this. When we say we, we disagree with what people do, but we, we love them deeply, and sort of, it, it comes across as a contradiction. And that's unfortunate because... Therefore, to hate a person's behavior or sin is actually to hate a person because they see themselves as their behavior. Who do you think you are to judge me? Well, I love you as a person. I love you as a, as a soul, as a mind. And classically, that works because you can love a person, you know, their body. You can love their minds because it's separate, the, dual, because the dualistic kind of you know, distinction. And even their behavior is distinct. So I don't. So you can go to a prison and say, you know, you've done all this wrong, you've messed up, and you're here paying the price. But you know what? There's hope for you. There's a chance. I can love you as a person who's created in the image of God. You know, and you can. We can divorce that idea of what you do and your behavior and your actions. You, we can say you have messed up, but that doesn't make you a mess up. While, unfortunately, because of this theory of behaviorism. You are a mess up because what you do messes up. And so what they want to do is they want to correct you by correcting your behavior. So that's a, so that's a problem that we have here in dealing with people and dealing with the, the 21st century um, context. And so we need to be prayerful and tactful when dealing with people. Um, next slide, please. So being tactful, dealing with people, we need to bring to them, bring the situation things that are helpful. And that's when we get to the next section. In Matthew 7, 6, it says this, Do not give dogs what is sacred, 
and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, one, another one of those classically misinterpreted and misused scriptures. Okay, oh, I don't want to share the gospel with you because the Bible says don't share, don't give to dogs what's sacred and don't throw pearls to pigs. So I'm not going to give you the gospel. I'm not going to give you my God because he's too valuable and too precious. That's a misunderstanding of that scripture. And I'll tell you why. Because we'll hear what Jesus means when he says these things. He, he does not mean that people are dogs and pigs, first of all. He's not calling people dogs and pigs, okay? He's actually, um, what he doesn't mean as well is that people don't deserve valuable things like the gospel, like the truth. What we do read when we see these verses, and what it does mean is this. Dogs have no use for Bibles. <laughs> and that's common sense, isn't it? Dogs don't have use for Bibles. They don't know how to read. And pigs have no use for pearls, because what's a pig going to do with pearls? A pig wants to eat and slop around in the mud. You give him a big playpen of mud, he's in heaven. You give him a bunch of slop to eat, he's in heaven. Give him pearls, there's no to do with it. So they're of no value. So he's not saying don't give people things that are valuable. He's saying the exact opposite. Give things to people that are valuable to them. That's helpful. That can actually win them over. So we need to be tactful in how we deal with people. And that's what he's saying. Don't be pushy. Don't be bossy. Don't be blamey. Don't be condemning. Don't be thinking about ourselves and what we think people need. We need to be loving and compassionate. How can I truly help this person? And to give pearls to a pig is to be cruel. To give something sacred to a dog is just to be stupid. And we don't want to be that way. And that's what Jesus is warning us about. So we got to ask ourselves a question. What do people need? What's helpful? What does this person need? And of course, a lot of that is going to be the gospel. A lot of that is going to be sacred things and valuable things. But we need to also look out at the big picture. Does this person need some love? Does he need an ear? Does somebody to listen to? Do they need something to eat? Something to drink? You know, do they need just a big cuddle maybe? And then the gospel can come next. Let's not be forceful in giving people what we think they need. Oh, I'll sort you out. Come to Bible study. Come here, Scott. Come over here. Tell this person the gospel right here. Come on. Get it all out. Hell and fire and brimstone. Come on. Get it all out. Um, if I do this right now, this person might turn around and turn and tear me to pieces. So maybe not. Let's actually just be really gentle. Would you like a cup of tea? You know, why don't you come over to our house and put your feet up and we can chat about your life and some things. And then the gospel will come out. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense to you because this is really quite important stuff in how we deal with people in our lives. So instead, giving things to people that they actually need. Next slide, please. So ask people what they need. Ask them what they need. And also ask God. So it says in Matthew 7, 8 to 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So do you truly want to be helpful? Do you really want to help people out? Do you really want to be there for them? Then ask them what they need. Seek what could be helpful. Knock to receive opportunity. But not just to, to them. Not just to people. Not just asking what can I do to help you. How, you know, how can I you know, be there for you? But actually ask God to intervene. And he will show you ways as well. So continue on in Matthew 7. It says, which of you, if your sons ask for bread, will give them a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give them a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give 
good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So again, our relationship with God should be informative on how we deal with people. This is a similar relationship we have with God. He gives, he loves, he cares. We ask him, we expect that he would give us good things in return and not dodgy things like, hey, God, give us some bread. No, here's a stone. Hey, God, give us some fish. No, here's a snake's going to bite you and make you sick. We give in the same matter, or we ought to give in the same matter that God gives to us. And that is out of love. We know we trust that when God cares for us and he takes care of it for us and he provides us and he gives what he needs, he does it because he knows what we need. And he waits for us to ask sometimes even. And he's, and he's loving in his, in his method. He's loving in his behavior and in his attitude. So what we learn as we're learning, deal with people, correction, disciplining our children, you know, whatever, uh, you know, being there for coworkers. If we're in a supervisory situation, or, or if we have to, you know, just to talk to a brother about something that you're concerned about. Doing it out of love. Asking, how can I help? How can we do things together? How can we work together? You know, gentleness, kindness, and humility. Not with blame, not with condemnation, not with frustration, not with anger. You see the difference? Not with a pointing finger. Next slide, please. So beware when we ask, how can we help? That we don't do it with bogus motives. Because here we see in James 4, verses 1 through 3, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Okay, so there's fighting in church. What's causing it to happen? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. So again, he's talking about these uncontrolled desires. Remember Jesus talked about uncontrolled desires and passions earlier with lusts? Get it under control. It's these desires that are out of control that's causing problems. You covet, you want something that you cannot have. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So we need to check our motives. Is it love or is it of the world? I want, I consume, now acknowledge me, which is full of what? Blame and condemnation. Do we blame, do we condemn? Angry? Are we full of all these things we learned earlier with the uncontrolled desires like we're seeing here? Wrong motives. What's the right motive? Only and always an attitude and heart of love. Why, again, wrong motives? That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Self-centered, self-focused. So, when we correct in context, when we go speak to a brother or sister or somebody, family member, you know, are we really being helpful? Or just being selfish, blaming and condemning. Last slide, please. So in conclusion, in everything, do, and here's the golden rule, and this so makes sense. How is this not in a better place? So in conclusion, in everything, do to others what you would have them to do to you. So when we deal with people, and we deal with people every day of our lives, all the time, Think, how do I enter this situation? How would I want to be treated if I were to be in this situation? Do to others, act, behave, treat others as you would have them to you. For this sums up everything. That's what he's basically saying here. The laws, the prophets. Everything that Jesus, God has ever spoken through, any prophet or any whatever. All of this was covered with the attitude of love. And that's what Dallas Willard says. And I'll quote him in conclusion. 
This is, of course, Jesus, his world-famous golden rule, which every subsequent moral thinker has had to come to terms with. This is love. And everything that is intended for us by God is included within it. So that's it. You know, how do we treat one another? With love. Not bogus motives, not the worldly way, not with frustration, quick-temperedness, and all that jazz. So we need to stop sometimes. We need to pray. We need to be spirit-filled. Asking for God's spirit to intervene and to help. To be gentle. To be calm. To be helpful. To think, how could I really be helped? Be informative. Removing the plank that distracts us from seeing the thing clearly. And if that be our own self-righteousness, our own condemnation and blame, then ask the Lord to move that for us so we can go in to truly and genuinely help and not just to be some kind of superiority complex or self-righteous type of person. So that's what we learn from Jesus. And Jesus, who is the Son of God, knows what it's like to correct with a loving attitude. He knows what it's like to be superior but yet not have the superiority complex that just does nothing. 